We are in part four today of a series that we're calling When the Fastened Seatbelt Sign Comes On. Uh, we've said that we expect the seatbelt sign to come on in a passenger jet when we're taking off. It's not a big deal. We don't mind when the light comes on when we're getting ready to land. It means we're almost to our destination or at least to our, our connecting flight. Uh, it's, it's, it's the mid-flight turbulence that gives us trouble. So we've been talking about, what we've been talking about in this series so far is that the fastened seatbelt sign in our lives has a way of coming on over and over and over again. When you can look out the window and see nothing but clear blue sky, <laughs> and when you look out the window and you see the storm coming, either way, it has a way of coming on. And here's the thing about the fastened seatbelt sign, whether you're in a passenger jet or if we're talking metaphorically, we have no idea how long it's going to be on, and we have no idea how severe the turbulence is going to be. So we've been talking about what to do in the midst of uncertainty. And we said that there are a few words that we were going to pull from this series to try to lean into as we face uncertainty. The first word was pray. As you face uncertainty, pray. And that was no surprise. You totally expected me to say that somewhere in this series, right? But we said that wherever there's uncertainty, there's always fear. And in that fear resides a desire. Somewhere packed in our fear is a desire, a longing. And if we can ever get to the point that we, where we identify that, then if we can hand that off to our Heavenly Father, we will hear Him say to us, I can handle that. I will take care of that. And we looked at a passage from Philippians 4. And we concluded that what God has to offer in our turbulence, in our uncertainty, listen, is a peace that precedes anything actually being peaceful. The second word was the word remember. During times of uncertainty, we need to remember God's faithfulness in the past because His faithfulness in the past brings a ray of hope into our future. And every once in a while, in the midst of some turbulence, it doesn't even have to be severe turbulence, but sometimes when we experience turbulence, we tend to run off. We, we want to hide. We want to escape. We maybe, we just want to forget it. We need to figure out how to cope. And God has this uncanny way of coming along and showing up in our uncertainty and asking, what are you doing here? Like in light of everything I've done for you, in light of my faithfulness in your past, what are you doing here? Then a couple weeks ago, we talked about a word that is perhaps a little more challenging. It certainly is for me. It's the word seek. And we looked at a familiar passage from Matthew uh, chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus looks over a crowd of people who, whom he'd never met, and he says, don't worry. And we said that's, that's kind of insensitive, and it's kind of impractical. And as insensitive and as impractical as that teaching might seem to be, it's important because there is a grace that is available to you from God when we make this exchange that Jesus challenges us to make in these verses in Matthew 6. So we eventually landed on verse 33 of Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, where Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God. And we talked about what that means, what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God first, even in the midst of our uncertainty. And we concluded that to seek the kingdom of God first means to seek to live out the values of the kingdom of God. And by values of the kingdom of God, we mean all this stuff that Jesus is talking about in the rest of this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and throughout the Gospels whenever he's teaching. 
we pose this question that we can ask of ourselves, that we can ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate for us, that in the middle of what's going on around me, in the middle of turbulence, in the middle of the uncertainty in my life, is there a way that my words and my actions can further your kingdom? That's where we've been. If you've missed any of these messages, uh, you've got some time to, to get caught up. You can find all of our Sunday teaching uh, on our website under the Messages tab there. Um, there's video and there's audio. Or you can subscribe to our podcast, which is great for listening in the car or while you're doing chores or whatever. Today, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about um, an important component of thriving in turbulent and uncertain times. And the takeaway today is actually two words. It's be connected. And I'm not going to talk long about this because of the extra time we took for the baptism today. We're going to keep this short, but that doesn't mean this is less important. For some of us, it's going to sound familiar because I talk about this all the time. I talk about it intentionally at least every 18 months or so from the podium, sometimes more frequently than that. So if you've heard all this before, stay with me. I think there's something for all of us. From the very beginning of faith community back in the, <coughs> in the summer of 1997, we had some ideas about what we wanted this church to be. Um, as I think about it, honestly, we probably had more ideas about what we didn't want it to be. Uh, but eventually, we landed on the idea that we wanted to be a place and we wanted our church to be an experience, an environment where unchurched people would be comfortable coming and exploring faith. We called them seekers back then. We wanted to be a place where people who'd been hurt by their church experience could come and experience healing and maybe begin their return. Maybe a place where they could re-engage with faith and church life. And from the very beginning, we simply wanted to build a community of Jesus followers who were in community with one another. A community of Jesus followers who were in community with one another. In fact, the role of biblical community was so important to us for the life of this church that we put it right in the middle of the name of our church. We wanted uh, to create a community of Jesus followers who are at all different places in their faith journey, all different um, I don't know, I was going to say levels, I don't know if that's a thing, of spiritual maturity who are actually then in community with one another. And for years we've said it different ways, uh, but we just keep coming back to uh, finding ways to say that circles are better than rows. Like circles are better than rows. Now, I'm not against rows. I love rows. Like rows work really well for this today, okay? I like rows because it allows us to get the most people into a space to worship together. And I, I, I really enjoyed being a part of the worship experience with you this morning during the music and our band and our team. And it was just a sweet, sweet worship time today. I love that. Rose worked great for that. Uh, to, to, to sing together, to listen to teaching. But here's something I learned a long time ago. Some things can happen in a circle that ha- can't happen in a row. In a circle, there's um, accountability. In a circle, there's a sense of belonging. Like You belong in these rows. We get that. You have your seat. We understand. Uh, uh, yeah, we get it. Uh, but in a circle, you feel like you belong too. Like in a circle, I know everyone's name and everyone knows my name. Nobody in here knows everybody's name. Uh, but in a circle, I know, everybody, I know everybody's name and everybody knows my name. In a circle, we can more effectively serve felt needs, like physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs. In growing churches like we are, the very best care you can receive is in a circle because there's only so much that we can do sitting in rows. Circles are where we can open God's word together and it can be a round table conversation with back and forth. We can ask the tough questions. 
Circles are where you can say, I'm not sure I buy that. I'm not sure I see it the same way you do. Circles are where you can say, and you have permission to say this, does anybody have any idea what Todd was talking about on Sunday? Is he off the rails or what? Like you can have the conversation. Let's talk about that. Circles are where we can pray for one another with a deeper sense of intimacy because we know and are known. Now, I know like I'm always talking about circles, the small group small group environments within our church. But really the point isn't so much to get you into a small group. So I want you to hear that because if your defenses go up and you're like, here he goes in the small group thing again, this isn't about, this is not me promoting small groups, okay? The point is to be connected, to be significantly connected, be connected well enough, deeply enough that when things are good, you have people in your life to celebrate with you. And when things get bumpy, when the turbulent times come, you you have your people, around you, people who know you well enough that you don't even have to tell them what's going on. They just know that's kind of the point. This may sound like an infomercial for small groups, but this isn't necessarily about organized small groups. But since you brought it up, the reason maybe that you're, that you're not in a small group, and we all have reasons, because we're too busy. We are very busy people. We're very important. You have no idea how important we are. We're so busy and so important. And my wife and I, our schedules don't match up, and our kids have a lot going on, and we're we're carting them all over the place, and I know you don't think this is important, but if we don't do this, my kid might never get to play in the World Cup, so Todd, you have no idea. It's your fault. So uh, <laughs> I totally get that. Like, I understand that. I raised my kids in the church, too. They played sports. They had extracurricular activities. But listen, everybody you ever meet who is in a small group, they are as busy as you are, or perhaps busier, if you can imagine that. But people who understand the importance of biblical community that can't really happen in a gathering of this size in an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It can only happen in a smaller environment. We're going to make that a priority. Like people who get that and understand the importance of that kind of deep connection and community, they understand the inescapable truth of this passage we're going to look at this morning. So we're finally there. King Solomon, who wrote three of the books of the Old Testament, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Something that uh, when you read it, you're going to go either, this is a bummer, or I get that, or maybe both. <laughs> it's really a lot of common sense, but it's not commonly used. Something, uh, sometimes we, like, we get so busy and we get so distracted and we start to believe that things that sound like a really good idea aren't really that important, at least not right now. Maybe someday when life slows down a little bit, we'll get around to that. Because remember, we're talking about uncertainty. We've been talking about those times when we experience turbulence either out of the clear blue sky, maybe you saw it coming miles away. Either way, those times when metaphorically we have to fasten our seatbelt because it's about to get bumping. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon makes an observation that goes right to the heart of this topic, this idea of what to do when the fasten seatbelt sign comes on. So let me read these verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting with verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So that means like things like, this is how practical this can be. You need to put a new roof on your house, get some friends together, buy a bunch of pizza, and knock it out. That's basically what he's talking about. goes on. He kind of gets to the tension over this idea, verse 10. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. So he says, two are better than one because if one falls down, one can help the other up. Or if they both fall down, they can help each other up. But, and and this takes us to the reason that this is so important for all of us, and again, this is in the Old Testament, so this isn't a Christian thing, and it isn't a Jewish thing, it's a human thing, okay? This is where it comes into play when we talk about turbulent times and what to do and where to turn when life gets rough and we have to buckle in. 
But, he says, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So, I ask you a question. If you were to face a situation without getting into all the possible scenarios, let's just say you're cruising along and all of a sudden there's turbulence. You either just didn't see it coming, like came out of the clear blue sky, or you knew full well it was coming, but you ignored it. You were in denial, thought somehow it wouldn't be that bad. You know, if you were to face a situation like that, who in your life has the freedom to say, look out. Like you don't see it coming, but look out. Or who is free to ask, are you okay? Since they, and since they know you so well, they won't accept, I'm fine, as an answer, right? Who in your life has that kind of access to what's really going on in your life? And I'm telling you, I've lived enough life to know it's got to be more than one person. And let me just throw this one out there. It really needs to be someone outside your household and outside your family you, it's great to have a supportive spouse, and if you do, then thank God for that, and a supportive family. But sometimes, listen, family is where the turbulence is coming from. And it's funny, but it's true. So what do you do then? Are there people in your life right now that if they were to ask you, are you okay, won't accept I'm fine as an answer because they know there's something deeper going on? So we're talking about what to do when the seatbelt sign comes on. Solomon says, pity anyone who falls. So no fault of their own, but something goes wrong in life. They fall. There's no one there to help them up. He says, pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And I'm like, I don't know. Turn the heat up. <laughs> Cooking music knowledge is written at a different time. You understand? Okay. They didn't have central heat. It's warm enough in here. You can cuddle if you want to, but... Anyway, uh, he continues, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Now, he kind of changes the imagery a little bit. He goes from someone who just falls down to someone who's overpowered. So in our culture, the word overpower could put... Uh, let's just, I'm going to put in a different word, and I, I don't think it's doing a disservice to the intent here. A different word that starts with over, and I'm just going to suggest overwhelmed. Okay, So let's read it this way. Though one may be overwhelmed, two can defend themselves. So at some point in life, at some point in my life, there is a season of life because it's something that maybe we don't anticipate because of what's going on around us, maybe as a result of some unwise choices or maybe no choice of your own. We will feel overwhelmed. And when we feel overwhelmed, we respond to overwhelming circumstances of life better if there's someone there to walk with us through those circumstances. Let me just repeat that. We respond to the overwhelming circumstances of life better if there's someone there to walk with us through those circumstances. You didn't need me to tell you that. You already know that. But at some point, we're all going to be overwhelmed. So then he says something that brings some really powerful imagery, and he continues, verse 12, the one may be, uh, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The great thing about circles, the great thing about deep, meaningful community is it's actually preventive. Like somebody can see it coming and they get to point it out and, it, and it's not fun. Like no one looks forward to that kind of conversation. It's not something you want to sign up for necessarily, but it's critical to maturity and, and really critical to our thriving. And specifically, it's critical to thriving relationally. And one of the great things about group life and community life, if there's, if there's something coming 
and you are in an environment where a group of people who love you and care about you, who, will, who they will find you, like over time, they'll find the permission to say to you, hey, I, this is awkward, but I just need to tell you about something I see in your life. I, I, I see this coming. Because biblical community is prevented. Deep, significant connection is prevented. To know and be known at that level, this kind of intimacy is prevented. When you are deeply connected with other followers of Jesus, there are things that you will never have to face. There are things you never have to experience and recover from. And I'm not, like, it doesn't have to be a structured, organized group thing, you know, uh, that meets on a certain day of the week at a certain time at a certain place, and it's listed somewhere on the church website. That's all great, but it doesn't have to be that. I'm telling you, and you know this to be true, that humans tend to forget and to procrastinate and to get distracted from things that matter most. Have you found that to ever be true in your life? We do. Like, we get distracted by the urgent and overlook the important. That's why as far back as the very first days of the nation of Israel, as God was showing them how to set up their society uh, back in the Old Testament, God had them build in certain rituals and certain structures because as humans, without that structure, we forget and we push important things off to the side. And in the New Testament, as the church was being established, they set aside time to gather. At the very least, they gathered on the first day of the week. But beyond that, they met much more often in homes and over a meal and in fellowship and in deep community. So yeah, the point is to be significantly connected with other followers of Jesus. But the truth is we don't tend to do that on our own. We need some structure as humans. So that's why I always come back to the small group setting and the idea of gathering together in some kind of a small group environment. Because there are problems and challenges that you will be better equipped to deal with if you are in a circle of people who are opening God's Word together, taking some of the big concepts we talk about maybe in church on Sunday and talk about how they apply at work, how they apply in your marriage, how they apply in this season in your life. This kind of community is preventive. So the problem, though, with preventive practices is that you don't know exactly what you've prevented. Right? Sometimes it's hard to be motivated to stick with preventive practices because you just got to believe that preventive care is making a difference. Oh, and when the fasten seatbelt sign comes on and you need support and you need someone to share in your concern and you need someone to empathize, like the church as an institution, we can express concern and compassion immediately. Like we can respond with an email or a text or a phone call or a visit from someone on our team. But what you really long for and what you need in those moments is community. Not simply concern and compassion. You need community. And community takes time and it takes intentionality. So here's the crux. Don't miss, the, don't miss this because this is really, really critical. When you need community, if you haven't developed it all along the way, it won't be there when you need it. When you need people, if you haven't put in the work and given it the time and focus and made it the priority it needs to be, if you haven't done that when things are good, you're just enjoying a smooth ride at cruising altitude, then it simply won't be there when you need it the most. So we want every single one of you to have a group of people so that if and when you fall, if and when there's something in your path that could cause you to fall, there's someone there to warn you. There's someone there to pick you up. If and when you experience turbulence and if and when you find yourself overwhelmed with life, there's somebody to walk with you through those times. 
Every one of us has the opportunity to be connected, to live life in community, where we can know and be known, where we can serve and be served, where we can love and be loved. Community, where we can live out the one another's of the New Testament in relationships where we can really serve one another and encourage one another and speak truth to one another and spur one another on into the way of Jesus, where we are accepted and held accountable, where we can love one another. And if we can establish those kinds of connections organically, like if you can do that on your own initiative by like things like having people in your home or going out for meals or hanging out together at, I don't know, the playground or whatever, if you are disciplined enough to do that and if you can make it a high enough priority and if you will actually follow through and make that happen, that's awesome. Way to go. Do it. But if you're like most of us humans, you probably need a little push. You probably need a little structure. Maybe you don't even know where to start, especially if you're new to this community or to this area, or you're new to this church, or if you're new to church in general. Uh, it can be overwhelming, and that's why we're constantly trying to create new opportunities for you to connect in all kinds of different environments, in small groups, in our, on, serving on a ministry team, uh, things like women's group or men's Bible study, experiences like Starting Point or the chosen small group thing. We do this with the hope that you will make a connection with someone with whom there's potential, if you'll follow through, where there's potential for something so much deeper and so much more meaningful. Do you know, uh, for Alethea and I, um, some of our closest friends have been in uh, our small groups over the years. Some of them have moved on to contribute to other group settings, but they're still our friends. But through the years, we've, we've done group with some of our closest friends. And do you know how that happened? It wasn't because we were super close before we started doing group together. It's not like we said, let's invite all of our closest friends uh, to do group. Now, it's because over the years, in some cases 15 years or, in, or 20 years, over the course of all those years together, those countless hours of conversations, doing so much life together, like celebrating our kids' successes, celebrating together at their weddings, or sharing the frustration of watching them make poor choices, or encouraging one another at life's various crossroads, or sitting with one another while a spouse is having surgery, or just being present to listen, to embrace, to weep when we experience loss. It's through those experiences that we became one another's closest friends. And Alethea and I talk about this all the time because I talk with other pastors occasionally and I, I read what the experts say that pastors like, aren't able to have significant friendships within their own churches. And I don't get that. Like, I don't understand that at all. I don't know what the point is. Like, maybe, maybe we missed something. I don't know. Maybe I skipped that class in seminary. I don't know. But we, our lives have been so enriched by the depth of connection in our circle of friends who all call faith community home. And because we can see the value that's been added to our lives by that kind of community, it's why I'm a broken record on this. Because we want the same for you, for all of you. We want the same kind of life-giving and in some cases life-saving community. And as great as Sunday morning is, and, and like we love Sunday mornings, we put a lot of effort into Sunday mornings, we, it, it's great, but you won't get that kind of community for Sunday morning alone. That's why we want you to be connected, whatever that looks like. So if you're one who says, well, I don't need to be in some structured, organized, laid-on, small group thing at church to have deep, meaningful, Holy Spirit-infused friendships and community, I can do it on my own. You are absolutely correct, but are you doing it? Like, are you putting in the work? Are you inconveniencing yourself? Are you reordering your priorities to make that a reality? Are you being that intentional and following through? Or do you just keep saying, maybe on Sundays when you see somebody, hey, we should get together someday. 
If you're doing it, I get it. Great, keep doing it. But if you're struggling with this, if that sounds great, but you just keep putting it up, that's why we keep offering all these on-ramps to deeper connection because circles are better than rows and community that can happen in circles is preventive. So it's a big deal because when the turbulent times come, maybe it's so rough that you need someone else to fasten the seatbelt for you. When the turbulent time comes and the uncertainty comes, you won't find the support and encouragement and truth-telling and accountability you need simply from the connections you make here in this setting on Sunday morning over small talk before and after church. It's not deep enough. We need so desperately to be connected in such a way that if we fall, there's someone there to pick us up. And better yet, perhaps we don't have to fall because there's somebody in our lives who will see the stumbling block in our path and will call our attention to it and point it out. Oh, and have you even thought about this? There's a joy available to you. There's a joy that you could easily miss out on. The kind of joy that only comes from living in such proximity and with such familiarity and honesty and vulnerability and uh, transparency. The kind of joy that only comes from seeing someone you love, maybe, maybe headed for the ditch, riding through some turbulence, dealing with uncertainty, and offering yourself Offering your presence, your voice, your love at a time when they need it most. That ought to be enough to motivate us to shuffle our priorities, to rearrange the way that we spend our time, to get out of our comfort zone, to take the risk of getting to know some people, getting to know some other followers of Jesus, maybe people you worship with right here on Sunday mornings, because maybe, just maybe, maybe, maybe you're the one that God wants to use someday to offer a hand, as Solomon says, to help them up. And we can use all the super religious terminology and language and like, oh, when the turbulence comes, when the uncertainty comes, I'll just trust God to get me through it. I'm pretty tough. God made me that way. Uh, he can help me. He's just going to help me through it. I'm just going to pray. Here's food for thought. Perhaps, perhaps the means by which God wants to help you through whatever might be in your future, perhaps he wants to do that through the presence and wisdom and love of a fellow follower of Jesus. Someone you have the opportunity to connect with right now when things are pretty good. And then maybe, if either of you find yourself headed for the ditch somewhere down the road, God will use you to help one another up. I think sometimes when we pray for God's help, I wonder what exactly we're expecting. Like, how do we expect Him to show up? I'm telling you right now, He loves to show up through the people in your life. Because if either of you falls, one can help the other up. If we're truly connected, and living in community. That's all I have to say about that for today. Listen to this song. I chase you into the light. Yeah, I stay there to see myself go. Oh, the ashes, scars, they fail. They pale in comparison to yours. They will I need you to carry me 
could find Yeah, you were calling me I'll be on my fears when my darkness finds rest in your light I found a fortress where I could surrender Where my shame didn't hide what I lacked Yeah, so I chased you out farther still Cause I know that I ain't never coming back Yeah. Hey. 